Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Early Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah to all of you who celebrate this time of year. I hope you have a great uh, time with family, friends. Uh, of course, we'll be here for you. Locked on LSU here today. Uh, plan on publishing a Christmas Eve episode for tomorrow, for Tuesday. Uh, we'll take Christmas Day off. Then we're back in the saddle Thursday, Friday, getting you ready for LSU in Oklahoma. Saturday in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl from Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And for LSU, right back where they were three weeks ago uh, for the SEC championship game, um, Tigers on Sunday traveled to Atlanta. Uh, they arrived at the uh, the team hotel, the Marriott Marquis, uh, about 6.30 local time there in Atlanta. And there were photo ops, and of note, is that Clyde Edwards-Elair did travel with the team. It's, it's almost like Zapruder film-esque. So Clyde was with the team. He was not on crutches. Uh, I cannot give you any updated information. I wish I could, but LSU's being very close to the vest. What I know at this point is uh, Clyde apparently suffered that hamstring injury late in practice on Tuesday. They gave it about 48 hours to calm down before they did the MRI because they wanted some of the swelling to go down. So MRI on Thursday. I do not know the results of that MRI, but it certainly seems as though it's um, unlikely that Clyde plays a Saturday against Oklahoma. A uh, best case would be that he heals up and gets ready to go for a potential national championship game on January 13th in New Orleans if LSU uh, happens to beat Oklahoma on Saturday. And that would be just shy. That would be three. If uh, Clyde does play in a national championship game, that would be just a couple days shy of four weeks from injury to game. So, man, if if it um, if it's something that would keep him out longer than a month, then uh, certainly that's a, a pretty significant injury. So, but uh, I think LSU is going to prepare this week to get those other running backs ready to shoulder the load uh, if Clyde's unable to go. Uh, let me run through. I want to get to one big injury note on the other side that happened uh, since we last spoke. Uh, we'll let's hear from Ryan Clark as well, uh, great uh, ESPN analyst and uh, friend of the show who uh, gives his thoughts, early thoughts on LSU and Oklahoma. And I do want to talk some LSU basketball. Tigers lost to USC over the weekend, so we'll get to all that here on the episode. But let me run through the schedule for the week for LSU, just to kind of keep you in the loop. So today, Monday, Tigers are going to practice at 1210 uh, Eastern time. Uh, so uh, morning, still morning time, uh, local in Baton Rouge. But they'll practice at Mer Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Lloyd Cushenberry and Richard Lawrence will be made available to the media this afternoon, uh, the media that's already there in Atlanta. On Tuesday, Christmas Eve, uh, this is one of the rare opportunities, but it happens in bowl games, where the coordinators are available. So Steve Ensminger will make his sort of annual media appearance, as will Dave Ensminger. Uh, I'm sorry, Dave Aranda, excuse me. And then three defensive players will participate as well. So the coordinators and three offensive and three defensive players will meet with the media on Tuesday morning, and then the team at 11.40 a.m. will practice uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Wednesday is Christmas, but the team is going to practice. So they'll practice at 11.40 a.m. at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Christmas Day. Then they'll have the rest of the day off. Thursday is when the hoopla kind of begins. It's uh, media day at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in the morning at 8.30 a.m. Uh, that's at the College Football Hall of Fame. Later that morning at 11.45, they'll have practice. Uh, then Friday, you'll have the head coaches press conference at 9.30 a.m., and then at 4.45 p.m., LSU will have its walkthrough at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and then the game, of course, is Saturday. So a full week for the Tigers, and it is an interesting week because this is the first time that LSU has been through the semifinal week, but also 
where they've had to overlap with Christmas. So uh, a little bit of an oddity here that LSU is going to have to navigate uh, prep, uh, preparation for uh, a semifinal game for their bowl, but also navigate the Christmas holiday as well. And you know the this is one of those areas where Oklahoma theoretically has a little bit of an advantage in the fact that the the playoff isn't new to them. They've done this every year, but the first year of the playoff. So the fact that OU's been there, they've been in this game, uh, they know what to expect from it. It gives them a, a little bit of of an edge. Now I could flip that around and say three weeks ago LSU was in the SEC championship where they hadn't been in eight years, and Georgia's been each of the last three years, and LSU still routed Georgia in that facility. So it's just one variable to consider, but it's something where LSU has to get used to it, and Oklahoma is very used to it. Now we talked about Clyde. We also talked last week a good bit about the suspensions from the Oklahoma players uh, for the Oklahoma players. Well, late in the week on Friday, we also learned that it looks like OU is going to be down yet another starter. Um, safety, uh, Delarin Turner-Yell broke his collarbone. He will not play in the Peach Bowl. Uh, this is significant. Uh, he has started every game this season. He's a sophomore, but he started every game this season. He is second on the team with 75 tackles. He's got three bat passes, depended, uh, passes defended and a forced fumble. So. Um, when you talk about already missing Ronnie Perkins, your best edge rusher, and now missing a starting safety who's second on your team in tackles, going against Joe Burrow in this LSU offense, needless to say, not having the guy that affects the passer and can cover in the secondary, uh, you know, make a lot of those calls, that's super significant. So, you know, I... My feeling going in is the same feeling many has had, is that nobody has really been able to stop LSU's offense. And I didn't know that Oklahoma was going to have a great opportunity to do that to begin with. And now if you take Ronnie Perkins and uh, Turner Yell off the field as well, um, that limits that defense even further. And I think it opens up LSU's opportunity to score and confirms further to me or just validates further to me anyway my feeling that if you're going to beat LSU, you're just going to have to outscore them. It's going to have to be a type of game like LSU played with Texas or Alabama where you're playing the game in the upper 30s or 40s, and you know, can someone else's quarterback make a play late like Joe Burrow has done so often this season for LSU? Uh, and with these uh, you know, absences for Oklahoma defensively, it only confirms and validates further that I think that's the type of game that we're going to have to see on, uh, on Saturday. It's a game where LSU's probably going to score in the 40s like they've done all year, and we'll see if OU can keep pace. All right, it's locked on LSU. Uh, Ryan Clark knows a lot about uh, LSU. He gives his thoughts on this game when we return. Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Always great to visit with Ryan Clark, and he knows LSU exceptionally well. And one of the things we talked about with RC was the impact of Clyde's injury, and he went into depth. Uh, about that injury and how it might affect LSU. This is a very, this is a tough, uh, a, an extremely tough injury for this team. Not necessarily 
just for what he does as a runner. He's a complete back. Do you know how serious it is? I don't. Do you have any update? Um, what, what I have heard is he won't be playing for sure in the, the Peach Bowl. Um, this is from people around, not necessarily coaches, just people who cover the team. Um, and the other side of it is you, the, the, it's varying severities mm-hmm. because you're hearing that this could actually, if he decides to leave, hurt him in preparation yeah. for that as well. And so that doesn't sound to me like we'd, we'd see him in the championship if we do get past Oklahoma. Don't take that as a fact. I'm just telling you what I've heard. Okay. Um, Noted. And so, if, have you ever had a hamstring injury? No, I'm not okay. fast enough. Like, why, how would I ever pull? Like, you got to move fast to pull it. I ain't never moved that fast. That wasn't my thing. So here's where the the the, the Clyde injury is 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 tough. Pass protection, understanding where to be in pass routes. Let's go back to Alabama. It wasn't Clyde's ability to run the football in the second half that allowed us to win that game. It was his ability to pick up blitz protections and also get out in pass routes, not only catch the ball, but make people miss to get first downs when we needed them and they were bringing pressure, not allowing us to get the ball down the field to Jamar Chase, get the ball down the field to Justin Jefferson. And so now you lose those things. I believe that was a huge part of John Emery not playing in in certain situations this year and why a five-star, one of the top backs in the country, didn't get more reps and you come into the season and honestly running back was a question mark you know many people didn't know if Clyde would be dynamic enough to play that position and what he's done is 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 honestly I think was was unimaginable for him the reason you were excited about Ty Davis Price and John Emery was because you believed you needed that level of talent now it does help that you now have those guys from a talent perspective, but he's going to be hard to replace from leadership, uh, chemistry, also understanding of where to be in that offense. I believe that's a bigger loss than it would be probably losing one of the outside receivers, maybe not Jamar, or actually maybe Justin might be more important. It's one of those two guys, but we lost Terrace, and it wasn't the huge deal that I think it is in losing a guy like Clyde. How could the combination of Davis Price, Emery, Curry replace Clyde, provided he doesn't play in the Peach Bowl. Well, I think the the thing is we've seen Ty uh, throughout the season just be extremely explosive with with spots to run. I remember watching him in high school, especially versus University Lab, and he was the best player on the field. And this is with Christian Harris, who started at linebacker for Alabama, the Micaiah Tongues, Michael Hollins, all these guys who are now – Division one power five players. I thought he was the best player on the field um, in that game. And so we've seen him in spurts this season come in and give energy, a uh, physical running style. So I think you can see those things. John Emery's more elusive. What he he is extremely skilled uh, in the, at the opening, which is uh, the Nike opening for uh, the top 160 prospects in the country. He was a guy, they do a drill where you just got to touch a dude. Four out of five times he doesn't get touched. Also used in empty packages during the 707 periods as a slot wide receiver. So he can do some of those things from a pass catching aspect, which we see him do when he gets into the game, but you haven't gotten an opportunity to see it for a long time because I believe there's been a learning curve there for him. And so I don't necessarily know. Well, what I do know is one guy can't spell Clyde, 
But I think the combination of the three, especially Chris, and you add Chris Curry to that with some of his power running on short yardage, short yardage type situations, I believe that we're fine at the position, but not as good as having a guy who's done it all year, done it at such a high level um, in a way that's obviously put him on draft boards in the sense that I don't believe he was on draft boards at all before the season came around. He's been very integral to Joe Burrow's success, this offense's success as a whole, and I think it's a huge loss for this team. Wrapping up, LSU basketball went out to L.A. on Saturday night, Staples Center, played USC, and fell 70-68. to Really disappointing, man. Tigers had an opportunity uh, to pull away late in the second half, couldn't do it. Ultimately, they gave up the lead with a late uh, USC run, and Tigers couldn't make the plays down the stretch to get the win. So LSU falls 70-68. to Tigers now 7-4 and four on the season. Here was Will Wade uh, after the loss. This is the second time this year, I thought, and I just told the guys this, that we deserved a win. I thought, and we lost. You know, we lost by two to Utah State. We lost this one by two, and we were prepared. We played so hard. If we played like that all year, we'd been we'd be in business. And I told our guys, we got to bottle this shit up, and we got to we got to we got to go. Oh shoot, I can't say that on the radio. <laughs> we got Oh gosh, uh, we got to bottle this up and you know and, and build on this. You know, we we made Manning made toughness plays. Trenton Watford, I mean, he missed some free throws, but he played so well. Now that's what we've been. That's what we've been trying, 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 and you know, at the end of the day, we turn. Uh, you know, our turnover problem hurt us. Will Wade so outside of himself that he cursed on live radio. Uh, I watched the game, and you know what's so interesting is listen to the tone of the coach after this loss compared to the East Tennessee State loss. LSU loses on its home floor to East Tennessee State, which is a really good team Will by Will Wade's own admission. I mean, he told us at his coaches show two weeks ago that you know he was his words were, I'm the only one dumb enough to play him, to schedule him, East Tennessee State. They're going to win the SOCON. They're going to win 25 games. But Will Wade went to the postgame press conference and talked about how embarrassing that loss was. This time, they go on the road. They lose a game by two where they played well enough to win, and the tenor completely changes. And I think you know, that's interesting as you find out how Will is trying to push the right buttons for his team to keep them engaged, even though they're going through some early season struggles right now. I don't think there's any doubt when you look at this box score, the problem, you're going to look at the three-point line, and LSU is 3 of 18. Say that again. LSU was 3 of 18 from three-point land. Uh, from the floor, overall 25 of 68, so just 36.8% from the field. Um, LSU led by eight late in that ball game and had a chance to win it and just couldn't. Uh, there was even a, a spot late in the game where Skyler went the length of the floor, uh, made a bucket, got an and one, had a chance to bring it within one. He missed, um, he missed the free throw, and then SC goes down. Uh, they missed the shot. LSU contests it. Beautiful can't pull down the defensive rebound. SC gets the offensive board and the putback, and the lead goes back up to four, and LSU just couldn't close after that. Overall in the game, uh, LSU out-rebounded SC, 43-40, to 40, 13 offensive rebounds to seven. LSU, as Will Wade said, was good enough to win. Uh, 15 turnovers, though, continues to be a bugaboo. It's not hard when you look at this team to see what the problem is. They don't shoot it well from three, and they turn the ball over too much. They don't have really good point guard play 
And that's the biggest difference from a year ago where you had Tremont Waters, who was your guy, who could finish late in the game and who handled the basketball. He erased a lot of uh, shortcomings. And LSU just doesn't have that guy right now. So uh, it is unfortunate that LSU went on the road and couldn't get a win in a game where you really felt like they had a chance to do it. Here was Will also about the rebounding after the game. We gave up 19 rebounds, offensive rebounds you know, to East Tennessee State, and, and this is the best front line we'll play all year, these two monsters, and we out-rebounded them. We did an unbelievable job on the offensive glass ourselves. Will's right. Team played well enough to win. They just didn't make the plays late, and that's the biggest difference. Um, when uh, So two things. Number one is, and I, I don't want to continue to to harp on the the three-point percentage, but when you look at field goal percentage leaders in the country, this may surprise you, but LSU is eighth in the country in field goal percentage. Eighth. Eighth in the country in field goal percentage, yet they're seven and four. When you go to two-point percentage, making two-point field goals, LSU is third in the country behind only Dayton and Kansas when it comes to field goal percentage, two-point field goal percentage. LSU, when they actually take the ball to the basket, they're exceptional. They're the third best team in the country at putting the ball in the hoop. And yet they continue to settle for bad three-pointers. And until Will Wade can break this team of that habit, they're going to continue to struggle. Now, the other thing that's worth noting as well, and this is where uh, where Will Wade, and we've talked about this before and how he schedules, where Will Wade knows he's filling out a math equation, right? So despite the fact that LSU is 7-4, and four, in the net, in the net ranking right now, LSU is 57th. Let me put this into perspective for you. LSU is 57th right now in the net ranking. Kentucky, which is ranked right now, Kentucky in the net ranking is 74th. So LSU, which is 7 and 4 overall, unranked is 17 spots and my math is right better than Kentucky right now in the net ranking. So the point is the names on the marquee may not look good, but Will Wade knows what he's doing and how he's building the schedule to make it look good to the computers. Ultimately, though, what LSU has got to do is find a way to win some of these games, which they've been unable to do as of now. They had VCU on the ropes on the road, lost. They had Utah State beaten down in Jamaica, lost. They had USC beaten in L.A. Three games all away from home, all would have been great net ranking wins, resume wins, and you couldn't find a way to win any of them. So now... You're off until Sunday, and you play Liberty at home. And Liberty is one of, I believe, four remaining unbeaten teams in Division One basketball. So LSU is going to be a home favorite against Liberty, but this is one that you have got to win. It's not good enough just to have it on the resume that you played them. You've got to start mount, like building some of these resume wins. Uh, and then they'll open up conference play at Tennessee on January the 4th. The bottom line is the SEC just isn't very good this year. It's You don't have many resume-building opportunities remaining. Tennessee is ranked 21st. Um, you're going to play at Auburn, uh, who's ranked 12th. You're going to play Kentucky at home, which is ranked 6th. But that's it. 
those are the only games against ranked teams that you have remaining in a down league against the SEC, in the SEC. You've got to win these games when you have the opportunity. The next opportunity is coming up Sunday against Liberty. All right, we'll be back tomorrow for a Christmas Eve edition of the Locked On LSU podcast, and we'll keep counting you down to LSU and Oklahoma from the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Until then, Locked On LSU, your team every day.